0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Sasha Lago about organizational development and cycles of change. Sasha Lago welcome to the human capital innovations podcast
1: Thank you Jonathan for having me
0: yeah I'm really excited to talk with you as a fellow uh, organizational development and change management uh, practitioner uh, we have a lot in common a lot uh, you know in terms of our interests and uh, what really drives us you know in the work that we do so it'll be fun to have a good conversation with you about all that as we get started I want to share Sasha's Uh, bio with everybody uh, so the listeners can get to know Sasha a little bit more. Sasha is the founder of Sasha Talks, a platform that integrates self and professional development into nurturing meaningful outcomes. As an entrepreneur, speaker, and author, she partners alongside different clients from individuals to organizations uh, to capitalize upon their existing resources. She invents, or sorry, she invests her time partnering alongside organizations, restructuring their operations, cultivating work cultures, and entities seeking a fresh voice to provide solutions to their ongoing challenges. Each of these commitments expect uh, Sasha to rely upon a self and professional development regimen in order to actualize results. And you can learn more about her and her work at sashatalks.com. As we get started, Sasha, anything else you would like to add or share with the listeners?
1: Yes, I noticed that your guests often share random tidbits. So I don't kick off my day without a cup of English breakfast tea with a tad bit of nonfat milk. So it makes me question how do you drink tea or coffee?
0: I'm not a tiered coffee drinker. Uh, my caffeine of choice comes in the cold variety in uh, Cherry Coke Zero. So I enjoy a good Cherry Coke Zero. Um, I And I, I recognize fully that. Um, there's a lot of uh, negative um, uh, health impacts of drinking soda, <laughs> <laughs> but it is my vice. Um, and so that's that's often what I drink.
1: let's uh, so- good to know. Of course, your drink could only be consumed cold. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my wife tries to remind me that I should be drinking more water rather than uh, soda. So I try. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, really, you have a great background. Uh, and I, I really look forward to talking more uh, about you, about organizational leadership and and your view on development and change initiatives within organizations. Um, as we get started, maybe you could share a little bit with us about how you got into this field and, and working with organizations.
1: Sure. So at the very first degree that I have is from Boston University School of Management. So I've been specifically to a business school and for about the period of four years that's what I was introduced to different facets of business um, marketing operations information technology and this is a a tad bit over 20 years ago and one of the when I came across organizational behavior it was more of an up and coming Uh, ideology that people were embracing, it's always been there. But when you pay attention to the history of business, ideas come and go in every package and people give it a novelty name. And this time around, organizational behavior, in my opinion, took off. And I think about what really makes up an organization putting aside the fancy offices from where people work from or used to work from, uh, the technology that they invest in, Uh, the investments that they make out in the market, it's actually people, people make up the organization and the quality of the people will dictate uh, the longevity and the health of the organization. And also to a degree, it also dictates the type of leadership that will come into play. Because if you have the right people in the wrong leadership, that itself is a whole other topic to explore. Or when you have the right leadership and questionable talent, How do you reconcile those gaps? And that's something that always fascinates me where you have these healthy challenges that you need to work through. And looking at an organization is looking at a person. What are the values? What are the belief systems? What drives it? Now the challenging part is you're not talking about a person. Now you're selling to the masses, whether it's a a private startup, Public organization, and regardless of the size, there has to be at least a core nucleus that resonates with the majority of the people working there, whether they're there for a paycheck or they're there to build a career. So, how do you manage all of these moving parts and make sure that most of the people, if not all, are moving forward and onward?
0: I love that, uh, and that interesting uh, background, and and that's really. Uh, great to to hear. Uh, me, for me personally, you know, I I have changed. You know, my career path and trajectory has been kind of all over the place. Particularly when I was younger and um, you know going through college and and changing my major a bunch of times. And I, I happened. I knew I had a love for teaching, and I knew I had a love for working with people, and I knew I had a kind of a natural capacity to kind of understand systems and processes and um, and also notice where the gaps were, you know, and how, how things could be optimized. And and I kind of just happened into uh, an internship where I was working um, in a corporate organizational development office, uh, and that was enough to hook me. At that point, I decided, wow, this is really what I want to do. And uh, since that point, you know, I've kind of diverged in terms of my trajectory and how to get there, But um, but that's primarily been the focus of, of what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And it's it's just really a great area to be. Uh, it's a great field to be in and, and to work with people and to help organizations be more successful, help people, help um, individuals be more successful in, in their work lives. Um, so I, I love all of that background. Uh, one of the things that you talk about is helping organizations um, to capitalize on their existing resources and really optimize how they're using um, those resources in their operations and in cultivating a, a more healthy work culture. Uh, maybe we can you can speak to that a little bit. What are some of the types of things that organizations can do uh, or perhaps stop doing uh, to create uh, a more uh, healthy uh, work culture that better optimizes and, and utilizes the resources?
1: So what I will say will come off to be either a catch-22 or just a sort of ideas that need to be killed off. I reward people for questioning what changes are needed in their organization, but sometimes companies get carried away because they're following the trends of what is the thing going on in the a market, or they read an article, or they heard that this is going well in their company, and they have to implement it in their own. It's similar to keeping up with the Joneses, but you can't be lured away from York organizational mission, what you stand for. Not every idea out there that works for mainstream will resonate with your company. You have to start from the inside out. It's good to be open-minded and entertain different means and strategies to improve the inside of your organization. But you also have to ask, is it it relevant to our needs, our wants? Because you don't want to start implementing different processes that are not needed in your organization, because it's gonna take up bandwidth, it's gonna take up resources, and there are gonna be people probably assigned to overlook it. And the interesting part about change is that many companies are making more of an effort to entertain how to align the right talent that they already have with the needs of the organizations. So you're not just hiring a body to take care of a task, you are hiring people so they could perform. Because that's where the reward is. Uh, As I tell people, I get paid to produce. I don't get paid to walk into any organizational setting and to look pretty and who could uh, could sit there for eight hours and earn a paycheck. And I have to set the context of the different types of careers and roles that exist within the organization so people understand uh, how do you increase the value of your time and what you bring to the table. It's not based off who could sit depending on the context of the role uh, at their desk or be there for X amount of hours. So somebody who could invest 12 hours at work could be earning the same as somebody investing two hours in the same setting. So what are they doing? How do you increase your value? Uh, at times I come across talent that they tell me that they're going through this checklist of actions that could lead to a certain result, uh, but it's but it doesn't sustain longevity because they don't understand. It has to start in the mind of why are you taking, why are you implementing these actions? What is the end goal? If you're just doing it to check it off the list, you're not gonna be able to sustain the results, whether you're an organization trying to pass an audit, it might help you get by for the time and moment, or are you an employee who's trying to acquire a new position, get a raise? And good organizations will nurture you, whether or not you choose to develop further on later in time within that core culture, or whether you go out in the market and carry on those tools. And then another challenge I come across is information sharing. So whether it occurs within senior leadership, sometimes communication breaks down that employees in uh, middle management or in the trenches aren't aware of the changes that are coming up. And you have to educate people of what is on the horizon to the degree that you're privy to sharing with them. And that will also help them paint a picture of what is expected of them. Because if you're running a culture of command and control, and unfortunately, I've seen those type of cultures and executives who come from that place, it it creates more, I would say, it just segregates the talent within the organization and there's always going to be three, four different train tracks. One, there's one that are exploring their options for a new job. Others just walk out. And then there are going to be those that stick, out, uh, stick it out for one reason or another. So it's not about what's right or wrong. But organizations have to understand that if you want to implement any form of change, it comes down to education, communication, and the consistency and reliability of messaging. Because you can't start... A change on a Monday and by Friday you've already checked out uh, whether you want to resume it. And the thing is that people have to be flexible, especially nowadays, uh, mentally, emotionally, and physically, how you're how you working, regardless of their current events and what's going on. I come from majority of the industries that technology consulting or sales where I'm spending so much time out in the field. So for me, it wasn't much of a, I would say, sacrifice, to not be reporting to a certain location every day. And I've been in conversation with a few HR C level executives, and they've told me that in their organizations, they didn't have the remote work culture until it was a bit forced upon them. And now they're transitioning to understand how is it is to work from home. And we have to be a little bit understanding and compassionate because not everybody has had either that privilege, and for others, they're ready to run back to their offices because they're balancing their home life, the moving variables in the background, and at the same time, they're working from home. So it's an adjustment. Change means different things to different people. For some, it brings out a lot of fear and anxiety. For others, they're willing to just jump off the cliff and they're just confident the parachute will go off. But you have to view it as, something good has to come out of it. Either it will make you more resilient in the process. And I tell people resilience and success in organizations is not a destination. You, you have to work towards that every day. Small things add up. And typically when changes uh, fail, it's because uh, the people who need to be busted from the top down at some point stopped engaging the audience you need the right people to believe because we have enough people who think and we don't have to agree with what how they're thinking or what they're thinking about But you need to believe in the change that you're seeking
0: great insights i love uh what you were sharing there and wow uh, I, th- I think when it comes to to organizational change, um, people can be quite resistant, right? It's human nature, um, and so we have to to build in sustainability and, and have a mind towards, you know, concerted, long term uh, effort and and commitment of resources to allow change to happen. And you mentioned, you know, the remote, the remote workforce as an example of what that could look like. And, you know, in this pandemic environment, we were kind of shoved into it, right? Um, uh, organizations had been moving towards more remote work, you know, over the last decade. And some, some types of jobs, you know, have been more fully involved in that kind of a, a work environment. Uh, but now everyone's kind of been shoved into it and, the, and organizations, leaders didn't have a chance. Um, you know, to do a more systemic type of an approach to this kind of huge uh, shift that also impacts the culture and it, it has all sorts of implications for processes throughout the organization. Um, so if this is really a unique time for change, particularly as it relates to remote work. Um, I know one of the things you talk a lot about is the cycle of change. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, could you share a little bit about how you know what are the the elements of that cycle and how does that play out in organizations and how can we utilize the understanding of the cycle of change to drive longer lasting more effective uh, change initiatives within organizations
1: so this could be looked at from an employee's perspective but or organization's perspective as well because when organizations are implementing different initiatives they have to know that everything that you breathe life into it's a circle of life. It's going to reach, it's gonna go through that adaptation stage. It's going to nurture and bloom, but eventually some ideas will die out over time because they're no longer relevant with the times or the market or the demands of uh, the audience that you're serving. It could be from your clients outside the organization or the employees. And for example, even employees think that the moment that they land a job, that job is gonna be there forever unless they screw up and then they have to see the door. But the thing is that so many things happen in life, there are no guarantees. And being part of an organization is the same thing. Uh, You have your first day at work and then the timer starts ticking down. Now, some timers go off way later in time and in some places timers go off the moment they recognize, okay, we hired X amount of people and we don't have a need. We need to either reallocate these resources or, they, or we have to do them some form of justice. And the thing is that change is inevitable. Don't expect guarantees in organizations, because sometimes the talent relies on the organization to sustain their happiness, to nurture their growth. Now, to a degree, uh, a, a healthy organization will make sure that you're growing as a person and professionally, but it's no entity's job, quote, unquote, to babysit every single need. That is proud out within their organization. So there have to be realistic expectations. And when we have these mental contracts in our mind that have never been communicated with our employer, or our employer just suspects that people look happy, so we don't have to gauge where, where they where they are on that mental and emotional barometer. And they keep on making those decisions without checking in. There has to be some healthy milestones when they're implementing different changes because it's always easier to redirect the direction that you're embracing than letting things go sideways, and then you have to play catch-up. And there's a lot of money involved in it, so it's not only about getting people's buy-in. And regardless of the type of change that they're implementing, I should tie it back to the leadership. If it's lacking authenticity, the change is not going to sustain itself because leadership also changes. There's a turnover. And especially when you look at large organizations, most organizations have a board and CEOs have to make the board happy and they're playing a balancing game. Uh, Fulfill the needs of the board, hit the numbers, at the same time make sure that you're representing a respectable talent pool. And when things are up in array, we know that no matter how great a leader is, the timer is going to go off. He or she will be out the door. And it doesn't mean that they didn't do a great job. It's just the nature of the business. It comes with the territory. The highs are high, the lows can be low. So even with leadership, there has to be authenticity when they come into the picture. And uh, sometimes people are great at conveying the authenticity, but they fall short. And then other times. If they don't know themselves well, you could tell when people are uncomfortable in their skin. And that's something working alongside leaders uh, I've been privy to. And they don't get to actualize their potential in that given environment.
0: Yeah, all those pressures that you mentioned makes it hard to be a leader, for sure. You know, it's, it's, I mean, certain leadership positions come with you know, pay, prestige, uh, power. Uh, but a lot of leaders in organizations don't necessarily have many of those elements. They just get pressure from all sides. <laughs> and so they, they have a heavy load that they carry. The, the weight on their shoulders is very heavy and it, it wears on them. And even those who get the power, the prestige, the money, uh, that, that weight is still ever present. And it's, it's just hard work. And you mentioned C-suite executives and particularly CEOs trying to balance, um, you know, working with the board, working with um, their other constituencies. It's a lot of pressure. And so, so we want, if, if I'm a, a leader, uh, I want to make sure that I'm giving a change initiative every chance of success with small wins along the way, like you were describing, um, so that I can make the job, you know, so say I'm an HR, say I'm the uh, CHRO. Uh, And I'm trying to to do this big organizational change initiative. I need to make sure that I'm giving my CEO wins so that when the disruption happens um, and that can temporarily drive down metrics um, that are important for the CEO, that that's that that leader can then be able to go back to the board and demonstrate, you know, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is the long term impact. These, These are the short term improvements and gains and make that case. Um, to to drive a longer term sustainable um, type of initiative. Uh, the the bottom line is in the U S particularly, but even really throughout the world, you know we tend to not have a particularly long term orientation. And in the U S it's all about those quarterly earnings reports. Uh, and and CEOs are often on a pretty short leash in terms of having the outcomes that the board expects or the shareholders expect. So so we have to do everything we can do to help to help our our leaders be successful and take some of the pressure off of them in terms of the political um, dynamics and pressures that they have to deal with.
1: I agree with you and thank you for pointing out that you have to have metrics that are of course quantified and you need to have evidence because we could talk about ideology all day, but when you're going before a board, a board is not going to care about that until you could justify the numbers with the bottom line and also talking about executives. Uh, Often at times when I watch the business shows where they're sharing the quarterly business earnings, I have a feeling when I see a certain CEO shoving up four or five quarters in a row talking about uh, their losses, I know it's only a matter of a season or a quarter or two. You're going to be seeing a new CEO speaking up on behalf of that company. And I do feel for some of them because I've gotten to know them personally. And the thing is, It's a balancing act. And regardless of the size of the organization, whether it's national or global or even private, uh, there are many sentiments that you need to balance. And every board member or their goals need, for the most part, they need to be met. You can't keep on going back. No one likes to be told no, whether it's on a human level or on a business level. And if you're going to say no, you have to be able to justify it with a very legitimate Reason and not excuse, because a lot of people nowadays don't cannot distinguish between an excuse and a reason for why something does not work.
0: Absolutely. Well, Sasha, it has been a pleasure talking with you. We're about out of time, and I do want to give you a chance to share with the listeners how they can get in touch with you, uh, find out more about you, and connect um, to to uh, work with you if they if they desire. Would you mind sharing?
1: Yes, people are welcome to drop by SashaTalks.com and it will introduce you to different parts of Sasha Talks from the entertainment, the engagement, and the types of services that are available, whether you're an organization or a private client. And thank you, Jonathan, for having me because I could talk about organizational change all day long.
0: I know, it's such a fun topic and there's so so much to it. Um, it, it really has been a pleasure I really appreciate your insights that you've shared with the listeners. I encourage listeners to reach out to Sasha, uh, find out more about what she's doing, go to Sasha Talks. um, And I hope everyone uh, continues to stay healthy and safe. I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Thank you. Thank you.